Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of December 19, 2019. Soundprints is heard at New Days and Times on ACB Radio Mainstream. Here's our new schedule. Thursdays, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Fridays, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Sundays, 8 and 11 p.m. Mondays, 8 and 11 a.m. Wednesdays, 4 and 7 a.m., 4 and 7 p.m. For more information about our schedule and to make suggestions for future features or give us feedback on what you like and don't like about sound prints, give us a call at 502-895-4598. Do you have the Ira app on your iPhone or Android phone? Have you tried using it to help with tasks at home, work, school, or getting from place to place? I called Ira this week to help me identify a Stouffer's frozen dinner because my barcode reader didn't have that particular item in its database. The Ira agent not only told me what the package contained, but also read the preparation instructions to me, all in about three minutes. Because the call was under five minutes, it was free. Agents are available 24 hours a day to help with all kinds of things. And Ira has just announced that it is free from now through January 11 for any shopping tasks, regardless of whether you're shopping online or in stores. For more information, call them at 800-835-1934. Several KCB chapters have fundraisers at Christmas time. The Greater Louisville Council still has some of those delicious pecans available. The choices include dark chocolate or milk chocolate covered pecans, caramel pecan clusters, but sorry, all the cinnamon glazed pecans are gone. Pecans are $13 a bag. GLCB also has three or four Louisville Peel to Save discount cards on hand, $10 each. Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana are selling phone wallets. Place the phone wallet on the back of your phone and have your credit card, medical card, ID, etc. always at your fingertips. Finally, Tri-State Library users are selling 32GB flash drives displaying the ACB logo. They're $25 each. For information on any of these items, call 502-895-4598. The Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind is selling Peel to Save cards. They have Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati cards. They're $10 each. For more information on their cards, calls 859-781-7369. Lucian and Cheryl Lott from Owensboro are nurses, and they conducted a very interesting concurrent session at the KCB 2019 Conference and Convention. Topics at the convention don't always have to be about blindness and visual impairment. Lucian and Cheryl explained what happens in an operating room before and during surgery, and they brought many items for us to touch. We received many positive comments about their session. Listen to their presentation on page two. We think you'll find it packed with interesting information. 
and on page 3 is the sound prints calendar. Page 2. Okay, let's, let's get this session rolling. This is the session on surgery. I know there's a whole long title there, but I can't remember what she put it as. But uh, Lucian, I'm Cheryl Lott, and this is my husband, Lucian. Both of us are registered nurses, have been for 30 plus years. And so one, one thing that we did, obviously, uh, you, you go through different specialties when you're training to be nurses, and you, you try all of it, and then eventually you decide on the things are the areas that are of most interest to you. And that's usually where you end up and that's where you work. Well, both of us decided surgery was the place for us. And um, hopefully during the time where we're talking and explaining a few things, maybe you'll see what we're talking about and see what some, you know, some of our desires, it's a passion that we have. Um, I lost my vision about five years ago, so I have not obviously been able to work. Nobody wants a blind nurse working on them. And particularly surgery. Um, yes, there is a joke about that. But um, but at any rate, uh, I obviously had to, to uh, surrender my nursing license. It was one of the hardest things that I had to do. And uh, I really do miss it. I really miss it. A lot of it is, uh, you know, passion and the desire to be a caregiver and working with people during some of the most horrible times that they could be going through. And so as that passion continues, you know, that's, that's just one of the things that you do is to comfort people, try to relieve some of their anxieties and, and all that. You have to also keep in mind some of the legal issues, you know. So we serve as a patient advocate. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we have to be referees. <laughs> Uh, mostly referees being surgeons and staff, you know, when things just don't go just like they want. And um, it could be a complicated place to be in sometimes, um, to be in the four walls working with people who are shouting at you and calling you names that are not your name that you recognize is uh, sometimes kind of trying. So uh, at any rate, um, I'm going to let Lucian start, and I'm going to be the van of white. Uh, we've got a few items up here um, that we're going to pass around to you so you can feel them. Now, it's not any blood and guts and none of that I'm stuff. But it's, and it'll be things that are not contaminated, okay? And so he'll get into some of that. But Lucian's going to take over and start us through, sir. Thank you, honey. <clears throat> I've been uh, a surgical nurse for going on 22 years. I did 15 years as a travel nurse, worked all over the U.S., Tennessee, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, California, Florida, Hawaii, um, and it's what I love to do. I love to help people, and I really like nursing and surgery because it's that instant gratification thing. You know, they come to us, we work on them, and they're fixed, and that's, that's great. I work mainly on the open heart team. So, uh, let's get into this. The, uh, what I want to talk to you about, since you're visually impaired and you're not going to know what's really going on well when you're taken to the OR or what's going to happen, give you a few clues into that. The first thing you're going to do when you go into the 
into the hospital and they put you in a room and tell you to take off your clothes and put on a gown that opens backwards and you know nobody <laughs> yep. wants to see that uh, but then the operative nurse will and they'll ask you a bunch of questions then the operative nurse which would be me will come in and ask you pretty much the same questions we know you've already answered them a hundred times before but believe me that's all for your safety the first two questions any nurse is going to ask you is what is your name and what is your birthday and those are what we call patient identifiers to make sure that we've got the correct person having the correct procedure on the correct time especially on the correct site we will also ask you what are you having done today we know what you're having done we've got a permit that tells us what you're having done but i need to know that you know what you're having done and you're okay with that because until the time that you go to sleep up until that up until that second you have the right and don't ever forget this you have the right to look up and say i don't want to have this done today and i will wheel you right out of that room over doctor's objections anesthesia's objections that is your right and if you decide for some reason deep in your gut that you don't want to have it done that day we're not having it done I can remember wheeling a patient to the operating room for a simple gallbladder. I say a simple gallbladder. If it's happening to you, it's not simple. But a gallbladder is a pretty routine procedure for us. I was walking to the room with the patient. They were on the stretcher, of course, and the doctor was walking beside us. And right as we went in the door, the patient looked at me and said, tell my wife I love her. I don't think I'll ever see her again. And I looked at the surgeon and he said, what? And the patient repeated it and the doctor and I both looked at each other and said, this case is canceled. We walked out, the patient went home, took care of what was on his mind, came back a week later, had the gallbladder done and did great. But as a patient advocate, we were not doing that surgery that day. Now, so we will ask you a lot of questions. Like I said, we'll ask you what you're having done. We want you to be able to tell us that. You don't have to tell us in medical terms, you know. Um, and then we'll ask you basic health questions. Are you diabetic? Do you have heart problems, lung problems, liver problems, kidney problems? Uh, one of the biggest things we ask is have you ever had surgery before where you got any metal or plastic implants? And the reason we ask that is because we're going to put a big pad on you called the Bobby pad. Sure, we'll pass that around. Yeah, okay. That is a grounding pad for the electrocautery machine that we use to stop bleeding. And we'll pass this around too. And we can't put that over anything metal because that interrupts the circuit and then you get burned. So that's a very important question. Yes, absolutely. If you've had a right hip replacement, <coughs> we want to put the bogey pad on the left side. Okay. Okay? That kind of stuff. Uh, or if you've had both knees replaced. Then you put it up on the butt or up on the abdomen, depending okay. on where you're having the surgery done. Always remember, lower back, always remember. If you've had heart surgery, sternal wires count as an implant. 
A lot of people don't realize that. This is a size for an adult. Now, the children or infants are about half that size. Right. Okay? Because there's way too much pad for their body, for their body size. But it's very sticky. And when we put it on you, it will be very cold. We always accuse anesthesia of making us keep them in the freezer, but it's not. Really, they're just room temperature. We just keep the ORs cold. And we do that for a very specific reason. We do that to cut down on infection, believe it or not. There, there is one place in the entire world where you cannot catch a cold. Do you know where that is? Operating room? No, wrong. You, you know where? Antarctica. Because it's too cold for the virus to survive. So we keep the temperature in the OR pretty cold. We, our normal temperature is somewhere between 60 and 65 degrees with a relative humidity of less than 40 percent. So you would, uh, we measure that every day. Now where is that at? Yeah. Where, where is that? You said you cannot catch mm -hmm. Those are implants. Yes, we need to know that. So what's going to happen next is after the interview, after the doctors talk to you, if you're going to have something done on your right arm or your left leg or whatever that has what they call a laterality to it, either right or left, then the doctor has to mark which limb we're working on. That's a safety thing. Which, believe it or not, you've read and heard in stories where that people have amputated the wrong leg. We don't want that to happen. Then, after all that's taken care of and the paperwork's done, we will take your stretcher and we will wheel you down the hall into the operating room. The first thing you're going to notice when you get in the operating room is it's very cold, just like I said. We're going to get you some warm blankets. We're going to try and make you as comfortable as we can. But we're going to have you move from the stretcher over to the OR table. Uh, you'll, you will typically come in and move to your right. Not always. Depends on the setup of the room. But when and don't move until we tell you to because we have to get that bed locked make sure it's in the right position because if you fall off of that bed and hit the floor and break a hip there is way too much paperwork involved in <laughs> so, yeah so so don't move till we tell you to and there'll always be somebody standing on the other side of the bed so you don't move too far so we will get you over onto the table, and then we're, yeah, they feel very narrow, but they're actually almost as wide as the stretcher that you came off of. And then we're all going to gang up on you. Honest to goodness, we look like a NASCAR pit crew, because we all have different jobs to do. We're going to slap a bully pad on you. Sometimes we don't do that until after you sleep. But we're going to put EKG pads on you. Cheryl pass these around too. And they go, they may be three or five wires of the Those let us monitor your heart rate. And then we're going to put what's called a pulse oximeter probe either on your finger. We can, we've got a different one that'll go on your ear. We've got one that'll go across your nose. They measure the oxygen content of your blood. Okay? It's, just, it does, it's not invasive, it doesn't hurt, it just does it with a little light. Sometimes they tape it. Sorry? Sometimes they tape it to your fingers. Yes. 
they go on your finger, they can go on your ear, they can go on your nose. If your fingertips are real cold, they don't pick up real good. So they put it on your ear or across your nose. Uh, another thing in my area that you might see, these are called defibrillator pads. They're basically the same as bobby pads, but they go on the upper back and on the side and if something happens to your heart during the surgery and we, and we have to defibrillate you, those are already hooked up and all we've got to do is hit a button and it sends a shock through your heart. No, no. Here. Clear. And all we got to do is hit a button. And it shocks you. Just like on TV and you will come off the table. Um, we talked about the bogey. This is called a Bobby pencil. You want to? That controls bleeding. It plugs into a machine, and the doctor can use the button on here, and that sends an electrical current through the tissue to stop the bleeding. He can also use it to cut tissue with, and it stops the bleeding at the same time. Yes. That's exactly what it is. It's called an electrocautery machine. We call it a bobby. Yeah, but it's not sharp. Yeah, it's got a blade in it. Okay. So, we've got EKG pads on. We've got bobby pads on. We've got a pulse oximeter on. We've got a blood pressure cuff on your arm. We will monitor all of those vital signs throughout your surgery. That's anesthesia's job. We're going to keep a constant watch on EKG blood pressure, pulse ox, what they call in-tidal CO2, which is just how much carbon dioxide you're breathing out of your lungs. And they will do that after, after you're asleep. They'll give you some medicine and you'll go off. Now, 99 times out of 100 nowadays, they use a drug called Diprovan. It burns like fire going through your veins. There's just nothing they can do about it, but it doesn't last very long. Because about 10 seconds after it hits your vein, you're asleep. We're going to put what's called an ET tube down. It goes down into your windpipe. The stylet comes out. They hook it to the machine, and the machine breathes for you. Now, this, this is a general anesthesia case. They put an ET tube in. It goes through your mouth, down into your windpipe, down into your lungs, hooks to the machine, and the machine breathes for you. Is it caught anything else? No, this is in any, any surgery, any general anesthetic surgery. You do what they call a mac or a local, you won't have this. Because you'll be awake and breathing on your own. But you'll be in what they call a twilight sleep. So you won't feel anything. But you, when, when we say go to sleep, that means that's something different from what you mean by go to sleep. When you say you go to sleep, you snooze. When I say you go to sleep, that means I have to breathe for you because you can't protect your airway. So that's an ET tube. It's never been used. It's clean. <laughs> After you're asleep, yes. yes. Now, do they use that when you're out just a local? No. Can you swallow that when you're asleep? No. Got to, got to. I mean, how does it go down? They use... They use a uh, instrument called a laryngoscope, which lifts your epiglottis up, and they can view it, and they pass it through your vocal cords into your trachea. <coughs> has a balloon on it to keep it in place. 
Okay, so now you're asleep. Uh, after you're asleep, we will position you. Uh, and you won't know any of this, but we will position you. And that's one of my biggest jobs as a patient advocate is to make sure that your position is correct so that I don't cause you any harm to various parts of your body. Like when we tuck your, a lot of times we tuck arms for surgery, but to make sure the elbows are padded very well. There's a, there's a nerve bundle right here in your elbow called a brachial plexus. And if that gets a lot of pressure on it for a long time, it can cause paralysis of your hands. So we make sure we pad those up well before we tuck them. Uh, if we're doing a hip, we have to manipulate your legs different ways. So, but you'll be asleep for all that. I've got some other stuff here. Uh, these are just different drapes. This is a, what they call it, a U-drape. Like I was talking about for the hips. We'll put a tourniquet on there and then drape this around your leg and it just, it would be sterile. Yes. So, another thing you might notice before you go to sleep, you might roll into the room and you'll hear somebody over in the corner going, Blades, one, bogey tips, one, two. Raytex, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're counting. We count before the case. We count when we start to close. And we count at the end of the case. All those counts have to be the same or we've left something behind and that ain't good. So you'll hear us say Raytex or RTs, sponges. That's what these are, you can pass those around. And a lot of times, these have a little blue thread that runs through them, that's, that's a radiopaque thread, so if one is left behind, it'll show up on x-ray. So we know where to go get it. So we'll be inside it, right? No, 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 because we would count before the incisions close. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Those those are four by fours. These are what they call lap sponges, which are bigger sponges. That's all they are. And the blue thing on this, that's what's radio paper. So I'm going to start these over this one. So after you're asleep and all your things on, then we're going to use this. I'm not going to pop it because it's messy. This is called a floor prep. And this one. It's got a drug in it called chlorohexidine. Which is, you remember an old soap called Fizahex? Okay, that was the early forerunner of chlorohexidine. And that's what that is in here mixed with alcohol. And it's just a quick acting prep. We prep you. You cannot make the skin sterile. Okay? We make it as clean as we can. We clean, we kill as many surface organisms as possible. Then we drape and prep, do the surgery. Uh, when we start to close, we'll sew you up with various different sutures depending on uh, the use of the suture. Like for the, for the sternum where I work, we use stainless steel wires and twist them. And then they'll use, uh, we use a lot of sutures called vicryl and monocryl to sew the tissue back together. All of those have different staying qualities. Some sutures are absorbable, some are not. We use a drug, uh, drug. We use a suture on whenever we're sewing like a bypass on the heart called proline. That suture's not dissolvable. 
because if I'm putting a bypass on your heart, I don't want that suture to ever go away. I want it to stay there forever. But on your skin, it can dissolve away and you don't have to take suture down. Just depends on surgeon preference, that kind of stuff. Did you have some of that to show? I did not bring the suture. No. Mm -hmm. Yep. That does not go away. I had heart surgery when I was six years old, and my sternal wires still show up on X-ray. Yes, ma'am. And it'll be there, be there to the day I die. Yeah, yeah. They they clip them and pull them out. It's a longer process. That's what we call a redo, and it's harder to get back into the chest once it's been opened before. Use a different saw to do it, and this, that, and the other. But it's just a longer process. That's a that's an ET tube or an endotracheal tube. Goes through your mouth, down into your windpipe, connects to the connects to the anesthesia machine, and we breathe for you with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same basic design. But you're not aware of that at all. No, that that. Occur they have I have done awake intubations. It's not. It's not a pleasant thing. But 99 times out of 100, that's after you're asleep. Why would you do this when you're awake? If they're too sick to go to sleep. If they have such bad lung problems that they can't support themselves with even a little bit of sedation, we will awake, intubate them, and then go to sleep. That's rare. That's rare. Do what? Do they use that tube with the upper GI? The ET tube? Yeah. No. 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 They don't. They you don't. You don't intubate for an upper GI. Not not usually. Like like a like a, like a in the, like a upper scope. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't intubate for that. You just sedate. It, it the tube goes into your esophagus rather than into your trachea, because you're looking through the stomach. There's two tubes there. After you're asleep, you're positioned, you're prepped, we're ready to go. So. I'm going to get Vanna up here. <laughs> and, she, and she's going to open some of the tools we're going to use. Uh, these are double wrapped and they're put through an autoclave. These are not. But they would be double wrapped, put through an autoclave, and there'll be black stripes on this tape to tell us that it's been steam autoclave and they're sterile. We inspect the wrappers that they come in, make sure there's no holes or anything in them because everything has to be sterile for your surgery. So we'll bring this into the room before you get there and we'll open this up on the table. Who has on sterile gloves? Because these are sterile. And they're sterile. Speaking of sterile gloves, anybody know how long it takes to scrub before you put on sterile gloves? How long do they wash their hands? Three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. You wash from your fingertips to your elbows, both arms, and then you don't ever put your hands down because you don't want the water running from your elbows down off the fingertips. That's why they walk in the room like this. 
and they'll back in because they're opening the door and you can't push on it with your hand. A few instruments here just to let you look at. I'll tell you what they are. This is a pair of bandage scissors. And it's just basically a pair of scissors, but they have a little knob down here that you can put below a bandage and you won't cut the skin. It slides up like that. Start passing these around. This is called a sponge loop. You'll take one of those Raytex and you put it like that and that way if there's bleeding down inside the wound like in your belly they can reach down in there and block the blood away so they can see what they're doing. That's called a sponge loop. Remember I was talking about sternal wires? The uh, different size sutures have different size needles. Sternal wires have a pretty pretty good size needle on them, okay, because it's a thick suture. This is one of the biggest needle holders we have. It's called a sternal needle holder or a wire driver. And you'll see how big the jaws on it are. They're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty sturdy there. That's what they put the sternal wires in and, and twist them. This is called a Babcock. It's just a, just a clamp is all it is. We have all different kinds of clamps with all different kinds of shapes made by all different kinds of people. And uh, they like to name things after themselves. But that one's called a Babcock. Uh, this is a curette. If you're having a bone procedure, like a total knee, Sometimes they will take this and scrape the bone to give the cement a place to adhere. It's sharp here, so you don't want to want to make sure and, and not cut you. I, mean, I don't think it's sharp enough to cut yourself. Well, now, what'd you say? They, they scrape it to, to do what now? It gives the cement a better place to adhere. After they cut it to the shape that it needs, they'll take one of these and cut little grooves in the bone so the cement will get in there better. They'll also, they'll also use this like if you're having a mole taken off. They may use something a little bit bigger than this, but basically the same thing and just go zoop and pull it right off. That's a curette. This, this is a Richardson retractor, named after Dr. Richardson. And he gets great. Uh, and basically what that does is like on abdominal surgeries and stuff, you can lift up the abdominal wall so they can feel up underneath that. We have some needle holders that we use some needles like on eye surgeries that are what they call TNOs and the needles are so small you literally cannot see them. So the needle holders have to be teeny tiny and they're working under a microscope. And that's the only one. But the suture is thinner than a human hair. That's what they're using to sew in your lenses and stuff on on uh, cataracts. Yes, they use a tin of. I don't have any idea how much for each one of these costs, but I used to buy instruments and stuff. Keep our supply of instruments up and working. And one tray. One one tray of these instruments will cost ten thousand dollars. So each one of those would cost at least thirty-five dollars and up. And so then you wonder, you know, why things are so awful high. But that's what it takes. Now it's nothing for us to, you know, get a pair of scissors that doesn't cut anymore or 
something break because of the way the surgeon should have used it and didn't use it right and it damages the instruments plus every time that instrument is used afterwards we take it back to central um, supply or central sterile area and we scrub those down brushes special soap and all that run it through um, a sterilizing process just with the water okay then you wrap it put them in packs and you wrap it two times okay put the tape on it and then you run it in the autoclave and it depends on what your autoclave and you it may have to run for three to five minutes to sterilize it and some packs uh, you know it takes an hour to do so um, there's a lot of washing washing the dishes and a lot of cooking going on back there yeah till they wear out yeah uh, scissors especially if they you can usually sharpen a pair of surgical scissors maybe once after that they have to be replaced what did you say about the 35 dollars every one of those instruments is at least 35 dollars most of them are are much much more per instrument, and a tray may have a hundred instruments in it. Yeah, yeah, it's three thousand. You know, we, we have we have trays specific for surgeries, like we have an open heart tray that has all the instruments we need for open heart. It's probably got two hundred instruments in it. We had about the instruments. I was going to answer your question, um, Cindy. We had. Um, instruments that every time we washed it we noticed that they were getting pits in them you know and we couldn't figure out what was going on okay so i began to study okay why is this happening because to have them redone was costing us an arm and a leg and i wanted to know what was causing them to do that it wasn't normal to do that and it could be that the the company insurance company um, instrument company sold me a bunch of instruments that weren't up to par okay so you, you start that process and try to figure out what was going on. Bottom line was we had um, a washer that we were running our instruments through and it was working okay, but what we did check was the water. And we had really hard water and we're running our instruments through there and it, they were still being cleaned well and sterilized like they should have been but the water itself was damaging the instruments. So then we had to go through and start replacing instrument at a time. And that's why I was telling you, I know one set would cost you $10,000. So, and a lot of these instruments we use on your eyes are so teeny tiny, you can't hardly see the tips of them under a microscope, they're that small. So, you know, you can imagine how delicate they are. You have to really, really be careful with them. But and some of those instruments run up into the 600s, just one instrument. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now you said something while ago about the vision. What did you say? About the vision? About surgery or something? Uh, like if they do a cataract with a lens implant. I was talking about the suture that they use. It's called a TNO, which is just tiny, tiny, tiny that they sew it in with. You can't even see the needle, and the suture is smaller than a human hair. Oh, wow. Uh, <coughs> talking about instrument cost you know you can go down to Sears and buy a pair of pliers or a pair of wire cutters for what 20 bucks you put the word striker on it 
and it becomes $150. Oh, and everybody thinks, why is that? Well, there's several reasons for that. First of all, the one at Sears is made out of stainless steel. The one from Stryker is made out of titanium, so it'll stand up to the washing and the sterilizing and all that. So, you know, it's it's materials, it's the way they're constructed. They have, I mean, they go through a lot of testing. So, I mean, yes, it's a pair of pliers. The curette. Yeah, the No, they won't. They won't. They'll just use a drill for that. What they'll do is they'll they'll set the bone. They'll use traction to pull it back into place and get it into place. They'll put a plate on, put a drill through, and put a screw in. They probably won't have to use a curette for that. Uh, yeah, put drills and screws and plates in. That's, that, that's a fusion. Yep, that's a fusion. Okay. Any <laughs> any other questions? Like, what does it cost a hospital? Yes. Don't have a clue. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's not cheap. I know that Be, because you know you're not only getting the anesthetic, you're getting the expertise of the certified registered nurse anesthetist and the uh, medical doctor who's an anesthesiologist. Plus, you're getting the the anesthesia machine and all the monitors so it's hard you know I can tell you that a bottle of isoflurane is $380 but that's not what you're getting hey. Hey. any other questions I, I hope this has been a little informative is, is it is it is it normal when you have surgery uh, for them uh, to ask you if you want your, your body part back? Not typically. Because I had a toe took off and they wanted to know if I wanted it back. They said they had to ask, but I don't. I don't know. That that would be highly unusual. Uh, a lot of it would depend on the reason we're taking it off. Nine times out of ten, it will go to pathology. Pathology will look at it. To be quite honest, you know, you're going to say, yes, that's a toe, that'll be a thousand dollars, sleep. But, you know, pathologists have to pay for their Mercedes, too. <laughs> they said they had to ask, so they said some family members want to take it and, you know, bury it themselves. Some, some religions do. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that we typically do, but if you can, act, if you want it, you can always ask for it. If yeah. it doesn't have to go to pathology, then they can't. A lot of people... If they'll go back after having a plate and screws put in their leg or whatever, and yeah. they take that back out, they want those. I don't yeah, know why, but yeah, I told them they wasn't. You can throw it away as well as I can. I so. told them it wasn't doing me no good attached. I definitely didn't need it unattached. You know. Any other questions? What about the music they play while you're in there? If you're if you are awake, if you're doing what we call a MAC or a local, MAC is monitored anesthesia care, which means you're not always asleep, you're not intubated, we don't have to breathe for you. You'll be snoozy, uh, but you'll be able to breathe on your own. But you won't, shouldn't feel anything. 
but it, I will always ask my patients if, if it's a local or a Mac, what kind of music do you like, and that's what we play in the room. Otherwise, it's Surgeon's Choice. I've worked with surgeons that like, you know, I've worked with surgeons that like opera. I've worked with surgeons that like country. I've worked with surgeons that like ACBC blasting through the speaker. It's all surgeon choice, you know. What whatever whatever keeps that surgeon more relaxed is what I'm going to play because that's you know. Now what about waking you up? We turn the music off when we wake you up. I know. I mean. Uh, we'll give you what we'll give you uh, some drugs to reverse the anesthesia, and we'll let you breathe off the gases. And once you get awake enough to where you're able to breathe on your own, we'll take the ET tube out. We'll wheel you over to, to recovery and let you wake up further there. I wanted to share with y'all about music, and he's not kidding when he's talking about the different these people are breaking you know. I've worked with all different kinds, and again, there would be one that didn't matter what surgery he was doing, it had to be classical music. There was another one that wanted hard, hard rock, I mean, and all the metal, heavy metal stuff, you know, and, and um, in fact, it would be so loud, we couldn't hear each other talk in the room. It would be that loud. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and finally, this nurse said, I am turning down the music. <laughs> and the music went down. Of course, he was sterile, so he could do nothing to me. So, uh, um, and then another thing, you know, about sometimes when surgeons get a little on the aggravated side, they want to throw things. And there was one that I worked with that was notorious in loving to throw instruments. Now he never had done that with me, but I knew of his history, and so. He, something went wrong. I don't know. Somebody didn't hold the retractor right, and he made him mad. And so he rears back with this instrument. He was going to throw it. And I said, Doctor, if you drop that, I'll be happy to pick it up for you. If you throw it, you pick it up. And it'll be the last thing you ever throw. And he never did it anymore. Um, oh, no, that got me off on the story. We could tell you stories for hours. Um, the um now you made the news no it was the music the music oh, thing um i was always a stickler for when we get you in the room we may talk we may play music and all that kind of thing but when you it's ready for you to go to sleep that's the time to be quiet i have made more people mad by saying quiet time and they're going well, so quiet i said quiet now, anesthesia providers love you for that because that's the most time, uh, excitable time that you can go through is when they're trying to get you to relax. Takes less medicine and so on, but you need to have a warm, quiet environment to go to sleep by. And we had always heard stories about people going to sleep and they heard all kinds of stuff that was going on in the room. Well, this one particular guy, when he came into the OR that day, he was in a very happy mood, jovial, talking. And we it was Elvis Presley Day on the radio station. And so we had it cranked up, jamming to old Elvis. And we were singing songs, you know, singing along with him and stuff, And while the guy went to sleep. Now, we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what was going on. I mean, we were doing our job and correctly and safely, but 
we didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the noise at that point because the patient liked the music, okay? Now, when we woke him up after the procedure and we woke him up, getting ready to take him around to recovery room, and as he woke up, he was singing Elvis. And it was the very same song that he went to sleep by, so he was singing again. So when we got to recovery room, they said, what in the world have you all done to this patient? He sang for quite a while, but he was good, and they all enjoyed it, so that was good. The, uh, I wanted to circle back to what we talked about at the very beginning. I'll tell you a, a story. Cheryl's right, we could tell stories for a hundred years up here, but one that kind of sticks with me, and um, I'm back in school now to get my bachelor's degree, and I've related this story in one of my discussion boards. When I was a travel nurse, we talked about our, our main job is being a, being a patient advocate. And I was working at a hospital and uh, emergency came in. A uh, patient had a broken femur, fractured femur. And fairly late at night, it was like 9 or 10 at night, I was working nights. <coughs> so we called the orthopedic surgeon on call. Well, the orthopedic surgeon on call was well established at this hospital and nobody ever bucked this guy, okay? Well, he shows up drunk. I mean, literally falling down drunk. I mean, I could smell alcohol on him and he went to see the patient. I said, you're not operating on my patient. He said, do you know who I am? And I said, I don't care who you are. You're not touching my patient. So he threatened me with my job and this, that, and the other. And I said, I'm a traveler. You can have my job. I can have another one tomorrow. You're not working on this patient. Long story short, they called his partner in. His partner did the surgery and went flawlessly. And his partner pulled me aside after the surgery. And he said, you did exactly the right thing. And I want to impress upon you that I will buck anybody for your safety if you are my patient. I don't care who they are, or what they do, or how much money they make. It doesn't matter to me, because my priority is that patient. And that's why I ask the hundred questions that I ask, and why I try and relieve as much stress as I can. And But just be aware that the nurse in the operating room is your advocate. Even after you're asleep, we are there for you. Thanks. Page 3, The Sound Prince Calendar. December 26, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold an in-person support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 27, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout with individual activities from 3.30 to 5, an opportunity to show and tell about what you got for Christmas and share New Year's resolutions from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, fun, trivia, and games from 7 until 9 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On December 28, ACB Next Generation will have a Saturday Night Live Hangout at 8 p.m. by phone. ACB members and individuals under age 40 are invited to attend this nationwide Saturday night chat focusing on a designated topic. 
For more information, contact Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774. On January 1, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its conference call support group at 8 p.m. If you're experiencing vision loss and have questions, tips, and comments, feel free to come to this call and share. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595193. On January 2, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by phone. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595193. Also on January 2, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its next conference call This is a monthly meeting of Lions from around the country and is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be more involved in your local clubs. The call is at 9 p.m. and the number is 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. On January 3 is the first GLCB roundabout of the new year. Education and technology from 3.30 to 5. Discussion time 5 to 6. Dinner 6 to 7. Bunko, cards, and other games from 7 to 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. January 4, Louis Braille, a tactile story from 1 to 3 p.m. at the APH Museum. To celebrate National Braille Month, we honor Louis Braille, the 12-year-old boy who invented the code now used worldwide by people who are blind to read and write. Participants will rely on their sense of touch to examine various artifacts and facsimiles from our collection using techniques used by museum curators to help reveal what stories each has to tell us about Louis Braille's life and legacy. Free, but space is limited. Best for adults and children age 6 and up. Registration is required. Call 502 899 to sign up. On January 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings, advocacy from 7 p.m., and education, activities, and technology, the EAT Committee, at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 5, ACB Families will have its program and support group meeting, at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. January 6 is a Savvy Program Committee meeting at 7 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. The code is 3572-595-193. January 8. The Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its meeting by conference call at 7 p.m. Eastern. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. On January 8, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by phone at 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. January 9 is the first Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision support group meeting in Louisville for the new year. It's from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. 
at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. On January 10 is a savvy workshop from 10 to 12 Central Time at Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. For information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On January 10, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout education and technology, 3.30 to 5, discussion time, 5 to 6, dinner, 6 to 7, bingo, $2 a person from 7 to 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On January 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. January 12, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation Chapter will meet at 8 p.m. by conference call at 669-900-6833, and the code is 3572-595193. On January 13, ACB Next Generation will have its nationwide conference call at 8.30 p.m. by phone. This is for ACB members and others who are 40 and under. The phone number is 669-900-6833, and the code is 3572-595-193. January 14 is the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired Savvy monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. They will celebrate Louis Braille's birthday, share information, collect dues, and have a Constitution and Bylaws Committee meeting at Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. For more information, call... 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On January 14, the Savvy Board will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time by telephone at 669-900-6833. The code is 3572-595-193. And on January 15, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a conference call support group at 8 p.m. Individuals statewide are encouraged to call and ask questions, share tips, and comments about living with low vision. The phone number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On January 16, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by phone. The number is 669-900-6833. And the code is 3572-595-193. On January 17, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will be from 3.30 to 9.30 p.m. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Discussion time, 5 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7. Music, games, and other activities from 7 to 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.